Hello, it's Paul Scott here, small caps commentator and writer of the Small Cap Valley Reports on Stockopedia.com with Graham Neary. Uh, what is it today? It's Saturday the 14th of October 2023. I'm still in the beautiful island of Gozo in the Mediterranean, just the end of my third week here in Airbnbs, although we've been so damn busy <laughs> with the stock market and writing the reports that I haven't actually really done anything out here. But it's been nice um, being somewhere warm, very hot, 26, 28 degrees here, a bit too hot really, and it's helped my COVID uh, chest clear up, so... It was worthwhile, I think. Uh, that's the beauty of doing all your work on the internet, which I've done now for over 21 years. You know, you can just take your laptop and, uh, laptop and fly off anywhere. It's great. So, another difficult week on the markets. And obviously, we've got the absolutely tragic events unfolding in Israel as well. And the horrible escalating cycle of violence that happens there from time to time. I really do urge people not to start posting strident views on this on the internet and I don't go on social media anymore because it's just full of rubbish and I usually contribute to it, it to it to the rubbish after I've had a bottle of wine um, so I don't use social media anymore the trouble is everyone seems to want to have a strong opinion on everything under the sun despite knowing next to nothing about the facts and figures I mean what I, I did a d- degree in international relations and we studied the Arab-Israeli conflict as part of that uh, Kiel, Kiel University which has a very good international relations department and the more you learn about these topics the more you realise how little you know you know it's got multiple layers and layers and layers huge historical baggage there is no solution in my view in sight certainly not in my lifetime and it's an, an insoluble problem there's two sets of people both think god gave them that land so what the hell can you do it's a total tragedy we shouldn't be taking sides because the um you know it's just it's not something british people generally understand or know enough about uh i just my heart goes out to everybody who's suffering in this from this mindless violence obviously it's had some spillover into the markets as well i mean lives are so much more important as we all know but I don't want a virtue signal over this we've got to actually think about the practicalities obviously it has an effect on the oil price the big risk is that obviously if all this then escalates to conflict between Iran and Israel that's the thing that worries me Israel we know we almost certainly know is nuclear armed it's never confirmed it officially but it's an open secret that it is so yes macro worries are getting a lot worse aren't they but that doesn't influence what I do with my small cap money because I'm not geared, so I can ride out anything, basically. Anyway, year-to-date, AIM is now down about 17%. We've had quite a big hit to mid-caps as well this week, I notice. They're now well down year-to-date. The FTSE 100, um, very sterkle. Everyone's saying Britain's a basket case, which is rubbish. Actually, the FTSE 100, 7,600. Very defensive, of course. Doing all right, isn't it? Plus, you get your nice dividend yield with FTSE 100. So now the AIM all share peaked at about 1300 as we know in 2021 when you know there was no denying it was overvalued at that level it's now down from 1300 to 690 uh, so down 47% from the peak i mean the only thing i can say about that is when when you, when an index is down 47% you're much nearer the lo- you're much nearer the low uh, than you think you know it, it will you, the, we've taken the worst of this and a bit more frankly from my point of view you know I, I'm, I'm just stoical about that as long as we're in good quality companies with sound balance sheets there's actually nothing to fear 
providing you don't get spooked by on-paper losses. If you're not going to sell the shares, it's a bit like the banks keeping all these bonds on their balance sheets at cost because they say, well, we're going to run them to maturity so we don't need to mark them down. Quite questionable, I think. Um, But anyway, that's the way I'm looking at my shares. So I'm not going to get into a, oh, isn't it terrible, despair-type mode. This is what equity markets are like. Sometimes they're bloody awful. And small caps, you know, take the pain generally worse than large caps. Anyway, my top movers screen, um, this, it's again, it's mainly, I'm not going to do the smashing nicey voice because I'm having to do this in a real rush because I've got to vacate my Airbnb by 10 a.m. UK time. So I'm just trying to rattle out a podcast before I go. Uh, now, the, the, the top movers for the week, I've altered my Stockopedia screen, so it now gives me year, six months, three months, one month, and one week movers, and I can click on the top for the whole market and quickly and easily see the movers, percentage movers up and down. So that's really useful. You know, you can do so much with the screening tools. We don't do enough uh, with that. Um, our star poster, as always, Wolf of Small Street, put up something on this in one of the comments, actually, showing how he's created a screen um, for uh, broker upgrades, um, which he reviews every day to see which shares have been upgraded. Isn't that clever? Great idea, Wolfie. Thanks, as always. So, right, in terms of the top sort of 20 movers or so, let's bring up the page. I had a look through those. It's mostly minnows, as you'd expect, mostly, um, you know, sort of sub, sub-50 million market caps, and uh, a lot of resource stocks, which are obviously highly small, you know, junior resource stocks, which are highly volatile. So that makes up most of the list. Um, but the top fallers are obviously the profit warnings. Enna Aqua is down 61%. Calnex Solutions warned as well, down 50%. This is for the week. Uh, then a bunch of minnows. Oh, Mine Jim, that dropped 37%. Uh, that's 35. These are all very small market caps now, under 50 million. Safe Star, well, forget that. That's up for sale now, and I doubt whether they'll get anything for equity. Two and a half million market caps, so forget that one. Um, and what were the other ones here? Uh, oh, yes, Mobico, that's the new name for National Express. That was down 25%, more a mid cap, becoming a small cap. Now, Graham looked at that one, we'll come on to that. And St. James's Place is down 21%. That's three, three and a half billion market cap, a big fund manager group. We didn't cover that, but it seems to have dropped or something to do with exit fees. Um, I saw on the news wire, so I, I haven't looked into that one, as I say. Then the big movers up, again, similar sort of thing, lots of nano caps. Um, which I won't, and lots of junior resource things, which I won't talk about. But the more uh, the companies we know more about, and the larger ones, Restaurant Group was the sixth, sixth biggest riser for the week, up 35%, nearly 500 million market cap, that one. RTN, the Wagamama, of course, and a few other bits and bobs. I really did, that was a takeover bid from Apollo, the giant private equity firm in America. I just didn't see that one coming, did you? A bid for a struggling restaurant chain that's overgeared. Really surprising, but they see something in it. God knows what. Well, no, I mean, I suppose they see costs have peaked and might start dropping. They can improve margins. They like the management. They like the format so they can expand it faster, I suppose. But even so, <coughs> I was very surprised by that. You know, the market, <laughs> it'll always throw curveballs at us, won't it? We, we, we can't pr- predict these things at all, I don't think. Because takeovers have mainly been, overwhelmingly, tech, tech companies 
and healthcare companies, haven't they? That's made up the vast majority of the... And value shares don't get a look-in, really, with takeover bids generally. So, yeah, as I say, hospitality sector, maybe we should be looking fresh at that sector. Uh, XP Power had a nice bounce. I mentioned in last week's podcast that that might bounce at some point, but I didn't know when. Yeah, that's bounced 28% this week, but obviously um, still a question mark over financing risk. Now, one we didn't look at is Green Core. That's up 28%. And YouGov I did look at. That's up 26%. Very interesting company. I'll come on to that. So that's the big movers. Now, in terms of my own portfolio, I've taken a big drawdown in the last couple of weeks because I've had this... This, this huge movement in Plexus. Plexus is the biggest percentage riser in the last year, actually, up about 1,000%, I think, from its lows, from 2p up to 20p. I think it's worth far more, um, so I'm in it for the long haul. Very, very interesting opportunity there, if you read all the RNSs. But obviously, you know, these things don't go up in a straight line. It's difficult to value, so it's highly volatile. It peaked at about 29p, and a week later it was 20p. I think it normally finds buyers around 20p. I've I've been buying more at 20.4p, because I think think risk-reward is very good at that level. So we'll see. But, you know, I accept the volatility, and, you know, we'll just see what happens. So, um, but anyway, my so so my own portfolio is still really really up a lot year to date, mainly because of Plexus and Seraphine's takeover bid and the takeover bid for BOTB. So so far, I'm having a good year, but well down on the peak, which was about three weeks ago. I accept the volatility, as I say. Now, my published portfolio. This these were stock ideas for 2023. Um, this is it's still up amazingly up 2% year to date that's the portfolio of 20 shares now it was up about 8 or 9% a few uh, weeks or months ago so it's, it's, it's slowly it's sort of death by a thousand cuts for small caps isn't it but it just shows that if you pick a nice basket of sensible well financed value stroke GARP shares which is what I did uh, um, at the beginning of the year um, despite the market aim being down 17% my top 20 is up 2%, so that's a 19% outperformance. So it's been a, a pretty a resilient year for value and GARP shares. Now, my runners-up list, which was another 12 value GARP shares, is up 3% year-to-date. So that's pretty good. Now, I did do a third list, but I didn't publish it because I really wasn't comfortable with it. These were speculative share ideas. Now, that is down 8% year-to-date, so I'm glad I didn't publish it, but it's on a it's a tab on the same spreadsheet, so people can look at it if they if they want to. Now, that got hit with a 94% drop in Wandisco, which is now called Serata, um, and also a 260% gain on Seraphine takeover bid. So if you take out Seraphine, the whole lot, rest of them, would have been down 24% year-to-date. So that very much... So I'm glad I didn't do a write-up of it and publicise it, because it's been crap. Um, um, so it just shows, you know, doesn't it, this has definitely not been a year for speculative stocks so far. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack, and in a bear market, they just grind down. I mean, look at Polarian Imaging. That's down at Imaging, eight, 85%. That's down... Um, I also put Revolution Bars on the list. That's down 56%. Um, I did have small positions in those early in the year, both of them, but I just chucked them out because, you know, it's not a time to be holding low-quality, questionable stocks at the moment, is it? You know, in a bear market, I think you want to be holding really bulletproof companies that you know will get through, that are profitable, have good balance sheets, and you don't have to worry about a drawdown on the share price because they come back up. 
So there we are. That's a quicker overview. Let's move on to individual shares, individual reports, sorry. Monday 9th of October, small cap value report. Big news here is, of course, the weekend refinancing of Metro Bank Holdings. Shareholders here were really lucky. That was not clever, holding equity in Metro Bank. Normally, I congratulate people when they get a good outcome, but it wasn't even a particularly good outcome. Only it's very, really quite a spike up, and then people sold into it. Um... A terrible risk reward on that trade on the equity. I think that buying into the equity of a, a bank where there is serious solvency concerns and the regulators are getting involved is complete madness. So, those of you who did, I don't know whether many, one reader was sort of pleased that he got a result. I didn't congratulate him because it was a really, really dumb trade and he just got lucky. So, sorry about that, but I'm just telling the truth as I see it. Um, the problem with these banks, you know, you can get a run on them, a run on deposits, and that's why the regulators force through emergency fundraisers, um, often just over a weekend. They do a great job, I think, at stopping these things collapsing. They're very, very uh, quick regulators everywhere now, but it's often equity that just gets wiped out. In this case, they were just lucky that they found a white knight who wanted to, who, who's, who's diluted everyone else very considerably and now has a controlling stake. Without that, you know, this thing could have been a zero. So it was a dumb trade, especially when the bonds were trading at such a, a big discount. Anyway, enough of that. SCS announced its council, accounts were going to be delayed because the audit's taking more time, but it reassured that the figures were going to be OK. Audit delays, you know, are so common now that it doesn't really ruffle any feathers. Whereas in the past, you know, delaying your... your Results because of an audit delay would have been regarded as a disaster, would have taken 20 or 30% off the share price. These days, nobody bats an eyelid because it's quite common now. Volex, what was that? Oh, yeah, Volex VLX, we like that one. Oh, I should say I've got small positions in SES and Volex personally. Uh, Volex said it um, suffered a cyber incident. I said in the report, I don't think actually that's particularly material. They said, well, they said it wasn't particularly material. Um, caused a very brief, smallish spike down, but it, you know the price settled. Again, cyber incidents are quite common these days, aren't they? Unless it causes major disruption to the business or massive legal costs or something, then the market seems to shrug them off. Graham looked at a, a, a thing called Mincom, Mincon, M-C-O-N. This, I think, is a, a manufacturer of capital equipment, drilling... Uh, or mining equipment, I believe, based in Ireland. So it's great that our, um, uh, Graham's got the Irish uh, knowledge, so he, um, being based out there himself, so he covers that one. He uh, It was an interim trading update. Now, I looked at... Uh, oh, no, Graham looked at Virtue Motors, but it was only a quick... We like this one, VTU, the, uh, the really cheap value car dealer chain that seems to be the only one that nobody's interested in bidding for. <laughs> Don't know why, even though it's arguably got the best um, balance sheet. But bids are not based on balance sheets, are they, normally? Anyway, Graham, he, he just commented briefly on the share buyback programme there. Uh, then we had a profit warning from Mind Jim. M-I-N-D, this was down 38% to 34.5p, only 34 million market cap. It was an H1 trading update with a profit warning. I've, I've said here this looks a right can of worms, big profit warning. Uh, the, the, the accounts are full of holes, I think. It capitalises a huge amount onto the balance sheet and the cash is rapidly depleting. So I've gone red on mine, Jim. Sorry about that.
Uh, reader comments, yeah, loads of them as, as always. It's great to see the reader comments still uh, busy, despite this being a horrible bear market for small caps. We've got a pretty resilient uh, membership base. Uh, and some of the readers were talking about J.D. Weatherspoon, which I've commented on briefly, saying that uh, they, they seem to get the wrong end of the stick, that I was saying it was overvalued, which I actually didn't. I said it was fully valued, which just meant, you know, priced about right, but at the... Uh, at the top end of what I would pay. So I think maybe I need to use more, uh, have more clarity with the language I used on that. But certainly an interesting share, fascinating uh, results announcement, which I, I touched on, full of all sorts of interesting wider industry points from Tim Martin. And obviously with the with the bid for restaurant group, hospitality could be an interesting sector now. Maybe we'll see corporate finance in there. The one I do want to look at that looks interesting and cheap is Marston's MARS. I just haven't got round to it. Sorry about that. Oh, lots of other reader comments here about takeovers saying, you know, should that be a reason to invest in a company because it looks like a bid target? I think we reached agreement amongst ourselves that it's uh, an added bonus, really, and that investing in a company just because you think it might be a takeover target probably isn't a good idea. Uh, then somebody mentioned, obviously, that several of the Israeli um, stocks on the UK market took a hit because of the dreadful events um, happening over there. And, of course, it, it could then, you know, it, it, depending on what happens, you know, we could see another oil and energy crisis, perhaps. So very worrying, very sad, obviously. Oh, and I think I should highlight a post from Philip Argebant. So I'll call this Reader Comment of the Day. Um, what a good bit of research here. <coughs> he wanted to know the impact, if any, on HS2 on Severfield, which I think is one of those structural steel companies, isn't it? So he emailed the company and got a full response and asked the director if it would be okay to publish that, who said yes, and he's published it. So isn't that, there's nothing inside, no inside information in it, just a bit more colour. So I thought that deserved a pat on the back for good research. Thank you, Philip. Oh, I'll just give a little plug for Graham's, Graham Neary's YouTube channel, by the way. I've linked to that a few times this week. He does a daily um, um, market report at about, well, no, at 11.30 every morning. You may not be, and it's live on YouTube, and you can discuss things in the chat box. And they're very good. They're half an hour, which I appreciate people who are working won't have the time for it. But it's recorded as well, so you can click on it at any time after 11.30 and watch it back. They're really, really 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 good Graham normally expands on about three companies uh, in a bit more detail and yeah he's really good at it I think very fluent very um, I think good, I said to him it'd be good if he could put up the stock report on the screen and share the screen um, I think that's doable but one thing at a time anyway so yeah a little plug here for Graham's daily YouTube channel it looks really interesting uh, well, it is very very interesting so on to Tuesday what did we look at oh sorry hang on yeah, on Tuesday we really got overwhelmed. We had about 15 companies reporting. So what we did on our agenda that we published on the, in the report, we gray, we turned the text grey for all the companies that were in line with expectations. So there was nothing particularly to comment on those, uh, such as Alpha Financial Markets, um, uh, uh, Robert Walters, Speedy Hire, Castings, Cars, One Spatial, and intercede. So some of those do actually look quite interesting. I particularly like castings. Um, very impressive business. I've gone off Robert Walters a bit. 
Um, no particular view on speedy hire or cars. And Interseed actually wasn't a bad update. That went up 10%. That's an old, old one of mine. I, I got bored of that and moved on IGP. But nice little company and uh, seems to be trading okay. Graham had a look at Reach, the former Trinity Mirror newspaper group, publisher, value, shares. Now, so, uh, Mark Simpson described it as a small business with a giant pension fund attached. It's not a small business, Mark. It makes about £100 million profit a year. It's a significant sized business that also has a giant pension fund attached to it. Um, <coughs> he does like his sweeping statements. Very entertaining writer. Marcus, uh, I like his stuff a lot. He does a thing called Small Caps Live. It's a weekly email, and it's very, very good. Um, so a little plug for that as well. It's free, and it's very good. So have a look at that. Big overlap with, with what we do on the Small Cap Value Report, though. It's usually companies that we've covered saying similar sorts of things, but usually with one or two interesting insights that we hadn't thought of. So a nice little, uh, a nice little thing to look at, I think. Anyway, Graham looked at the trading update from Reach, uh, which was in line. Um, Graham's, Graham's actually positive on it, which surprised me a bit. I probably am at this level as well, around 70, 80 p. I think it's worth a punt. Um, uh, and he goes through the enterprise value and, uh, and looks at the pension fund and so on. So uh, you know, the trouble is you, you, you know that the profits are going to dry up, don't you? So it's a cigar butt stock. Wouldn't be anywhere near my, my first choice reach, but I think there's a trade for something that might bounce strongly. It has a history of doing that. It gets very oversold in bear markets, and then it multi-bags when it recovers. So I did really well on reach uh, years ago when it went from 20p up to about £2. I didn't catch the whole move, but I caught a good enough chunk of it to transform my portfolio. Uh, what else? Treat. Oh, yes, this is the ingredients, food and drink uh, speciality ingredients thing. I had a look at this trading update. It's come down quite a lot, but it bounced 13% on this trading update. Um, it blames some destocking by customers, um, but actually it still managed to achieve profit expectations by better margins and so on. Anyway, I go through the figures in quite a bit of detail there. I've always thought before it was it was much too expensive. Um, in the past, but I'm actually now shifting more p- positive on it because the valuation's more reasonable, and they do have potential upside from this new factory that's coming on stream, uh, and that doesn't seem to be built into the forecast. So I think Treat could surprise on the upside. So I've gone amber green on it, which means moderately positive. And then finally, Graham looked at Impacts Asset Management (IPX). Oh, another one. I had a look at Wincanton (WIN), the logistics business that I like. I'm green on this. Uh, in in line with expectations, one of the readers. So so, what do I like about it? Well, it's an, it's cheap. It's an attractively low PE, good dividends. The pension scheme's now fully funded. The outlook sounds all right. Uh, so I think it's a, a, a decent business. Although one of the readers did find something on the internet saying it had lost um, a contract with Ribena, I think. But um, that doesn't seem to have triggered a profit warning. So maybe it's going to be all right. Okay, that wraps up Tuesday, tenth of October. Oh, I should say in the reader comments for Tuesday, um, A's Laby flags up one spatial, ticket SPA. We didn't get round to looking that one, but he actually write a, wrote a nice little synopsis here about it. We love it when readers do that. Tell us about stocks you like and why you like them, if we've missed them. That just adds tremendous value to the report, and uh, it looks quite interesting. So I must have a look at uh, one spatial next time it reports. Then the big topic for discussion was Calnex Solutions, CLX, um, 
a telecoms company which warned on profit. We covered that the next day. Uh, but people point out that actually in its annual report it says the Spirant is its biggest customer. And of course Spirant warned on profit about a month ago. So this, uh, this sort of telecoms related sector, IT company, seems to be a real problem area now. Um, yeah, I do think there's a lot to be said for looking at in which sectors are the profit warnings mainly happening and then being wary about those sectors. Basic stuff, but it's worth reminding us all, I think, about... Well, reminding myself as well about that. Because I was thinking about buying some Cerulean CER. It's one of my favourite growth stocks. But that's come come off about 20 25% from the highs. Because, of course, who's it selling the software to? Telecoms companies. Although it doesn't seem to have been affected by any downturns in the past. But you never know, do you? And so, you know, you can understand people are selling it just in case... It warns on profit. Mind you, that's the type of share I would buy if it warns on profit. And uh, it's, it's a really nice company, Cerulean. Oh, some very interesting posts about YouGov. Y-O-U is the ticker there, which I actually covered a day or two later, so I'll come on to that. But just to flag, the reader comments on that are interesting on Tuesday. We're getting lots of reader comments about... Uh, previously fairly decent small caps that are just grinding down in price interminably. I think we're all suffering from this. I certainly am. Things I'm thinking things like in my own portfolio, things that are down, you know, 20, 30, 40, even 40 percent on no no adverse news at all. Things like so Sandar, um, what else have I got that keeps dropping? Oh, Zotfoams, um, oh, there are quite a few others actually. Volex has been slipping back. SCS goes nowhere. And a lot of these things are putting out inline updates, but they just grind down, don't they? Um, my feeling on it is, if it's in a bad sector where you know, other companies are warning on profit, maybe I should be cutting my position size, or in some cases I already have cut the position size, and, and then I just run a smaller amount. Then if there is a profit warning, it doesn't do much damage to my portfolio. That's my approach at the moment. But um, you can always buy them back, can't you? Okay, you might have to pay 5 or 10% more. But actually, when companies are putting out in-line trading updates, often you can, just, you can still buy first thing at the same price. So it's weird, you know. Some of them saw on an inline update we've had things go up 20% in recent uh, weeks on just an inline update we've had other things go nowhere because sellers just sell into it there is no logic to what the market is doing at the moment so I think trying to rationalise it and say oh well the market obviously thinks this this and this and linking it to the fundamentals is 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 um, is a, isn't right what's happening is it's a liquidity problem I think, and lots of fund managers are saying this in podcasts that I always listen to. They're always interesting. They're saying, you know, the trouble is you've got some funds that are in real trouble, big redemptions. They're just having to sell indiscriminately where there's where the where there are buyers. I mean, look at what's happening with Car Factory. That's down to about ninety one p. We know why, because Telly Ios, the biggest shareholder, is just clumsily clumsily selling and is looking like a distressed seller, actually. I don't know why they're in such a hurry to get out. But this is what's driving prices mainly, I think, in these weird and uh, almost random reactions to trading updates. It's, It's 
whether there are institutions in the background who just need the liquidity and need to sell regardless of what the update says. So they see buyers come in and they just sell into to that buying. This is creating some fantastic opportunities for us. So, and, and you, can, you, can, you can look at the over 3% disclosures to get an indication if a big shareholder is selling, but there'll be a multitude of smaller institutions um, below 3% who could be doing anything. So you, we, do, we don't have the full picture until... Uh, much later, but if a company is trading well, putting out good updates, and you get the opportunity to buy, um, that's quite attractive, isn't it? We have to look through the emotions of all of this and just keep a cool, logical head, I think. And the, these are the times when we're sowing the seeds for bumper gains in future. Don't forget that. Project your mind forward a year or two when we're in the next bull market. And you'll be thinking, my God, why wasn't I buying that share when it was that cheap? And they were putting out good trading updates. Well, now's the time to be buying them, isn't it? Particularly those of you who are sitting on great piles of cash. That cash is going to come back into the market at some point, you know. And I think we're set, we're set up for a really exciting bull market once confidence returns, maybe once interest rates have come down a bit. Uh, you've just got to think forwards, not get obsessed with the worries of the present, in my opinion. And look, I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen any more than anyone else does. I'm not making short-term predictions. I know I fired the starting gun for the uh, for the next bull market a, a few weeks ago, but I was definitely premature. I definitely jumped the gun, didn't I? So sorry about that. But you know, you just don't know what's going to happen with the macro side of things, do you? Um, and as I say, I've said loads of times before. I think the central banks are overdoing it. They're storing up lots of problems with with interest rates are too high now, given that inflation's already come down a hell of a lot in America, hasn't it? And, you know, this this random 2% target, you know, wrecking the economy because we're some way off getting it back to 2%, I think is insanity. So I'm totally uh, opposed to what the central banks are doing. I think it's really bad, seriously bad. And there needs to be some democratic accountability for this. Uh, maybe we should be protesting outside the central banks to say to them, look, you're harming people's lives and inflation's coming down anyway because supply chain problems are getting resolved. Oh, I don't know. Right, I think it was a brick special on Wednesday, wasn't it? Yes, I looked at Forterra, uh, F-O-R-T, this is a brick manufacturer. Mm, I like the company, but I must admit I was a bit... bit um, it's a profit warning, basically, but it only dropped 6%. So the market seems very sanguine about this. Um, I do point out that industry statistics about brick production and consumption are widely published. So the market already knew um, that demand for bricks is dropping. Oh, excuse me. But, uh, uh, yeah, I've come to the conclusion that I don't particularly like the operational gearing of these brick manufacturers, so... I've just got Amber on Forterra, and the other brick one I, I looked at on Wednesday, the 11th of October, is actually a, a distributor rather than a manufacturer of bricks, and, it, and it's been very acquisitive. This is called Brickability, B-R-C-K. I did briefly hold this earlier this year, but then I thought, look, the macro is going so badly against it. I didn't hold them long. I sold them for a small loss. Um, but I, it's on my watch list as something I definitely want to buy back into. Now, this put out a trading update and announced another uh, acquisition as well. Um, it was actually in line with expectations for H1 um, for Brickability, but it does slip out a downgrade for the full year, which is March 2024, slipped out via the broker Cavendish. 
so for, forecasts for the full year are dropped by 10% for profitability. Um, but that's partially offset by a significant acquisition. And Cavendish set it out very nicely. You know, they should, this is the underlying drop in our earnings expectations. This is what the, the acquisition do. So very transparent. Now, the PE ratio is below five on the updated numbers. So I can't, I've said here, I cannot ignore the value with brickability whilst acknowledging the macro headwinds. It's a, it's a capital light distribution model, which is actually proving more resilient than the capital intensive brick manufacturers. So I think brickability has a better business model as well as, uh, um, you know, seemingly trading okay. Now I looked at Sanderson Design, an old favourite, I've got a small position in this one as well. Uh, it, it keeps surprising. It put out interim results with um, an inline folio uh, outlook, bulletproof balance sheet. This is the uh, higher end wallpapers and fabric manufacturer and distributor with lots of interesting, with a big design archive that's very valuable, I think. Uh, it's priced to war on profits, but so far it hasn't. Now, I should say that the core business is struggling, but the licensing side of things is doing really, really well. But you do have to, we've, we've discussed this with the readers, and you do have to remember with Sanderson that a lot of the licensing income is quite short lifespan. It's for a particular product range, for a particular season, and so on, in some cases, um, but I think the Disney stuff that's, that, that, they're, that they're developing looks really interesting. That could and, and it's targeting growth in the US. So I continue to like Sanderson Design, but I do not want a big exposure to it. So I only have a small position until um, the macro position clears. But the trouble is, then I'll probably miss out on a 30, 40 percent rally. So do you just buy them and say, well, it, it's so well financed, it can get through a rough patch anyway? So that's why I'm sort of mm, not sure. So that's why I'm uh, maintaining a position, but it's not particularly big. And I think it could be a takeover bid target for that massive design archive, which I think is very valuable, you know. Uh, right, on to Thursday. This was a bit of a catch-up day. We did big catch-up days on Thursday and Friday this week. And Graham, in his in his YouTube, YouTube video, also looked at Mobico, Restaurant Group and SIG. One of the readers did point out, and this is correct, I think, that Graham made a small error in when he was talking about Restaurant Group, where he valued it per Wagamama site, but he forgot to deduct, make a deduction for all the other stuff within Restaurant Group, which apparently the pubs include some freeholds quite a lot of freeholds actually so that was a fair point um now what what did we look at so thank you for that we looked at uh oh i did a quite a deep dive into yougov y-o-u now this is about a billion market cap but it did uh, dip briefly into small cap territory and it's a stock i looked at a lot years ago back in searching back to our reports to sort of 2014 2015 16 17 i i wrote a lot about yougov and got it wrong. I just said, oh, the accounting's um, aggressive, which it was. Well, I didn't get it wrong. The accounting was aggressive. Uh, they capitalised everything that moved. The profits and cash flows weren't, weren't particularly impressive or real. You know, so I, for those reasons, I was negative on it. But what I overlooked is the fact that this, the business model was really going places and they've made some very good acquisitions, I think, over the years. Put that together... And the business has done really, really well. So I think the learning curve for me on that is, um, although of course we're not predicting how the business is going to perform for the next seven or eight years, we're just looking at the facts, figures and forecasts on that day. 
um, and then giving a view of the shares on that day. We're not trying to... to this is why it annoys me a bit when people... Um, when people put up negative uh, personal attacks, like somebody, for example, this this week on Revolution Bars in uh, ADVFN said, "Oh no, another Paul Scott disaster." And I said, "What do you mean?" Well, I didn't. I didn't say that. I just just put a, um, a reply pointing out that I'd made a killing on it when it bounced from 11p to 35p, which recouped all the losses that I'd made on it previously. So the the point is, shares are not there to just hold forever and lose 98, 99% of your money. You can trade the positions, um, which can be profitable, even in a downturn. Um, and, and also, we've been negative on revolution bars for ages. So how is dredging up that three, four, five years ago I was bullish on a stock? How is that relevant today? Answer, it isn't. It's totally irrelevant. Um, you know, we don't form emotional attachments to shares well I have done sometimes in the past and that is a mistake but I've learned from it and now I just think if the facts change we change our view on it that's why we changed our view on revolution bars ages ago we've been highly critical actually of it um, particularly the acquisition of peach pubs maxing out the debt so um, you know and I think I feel sorry for the poster who launched that personal attack on me because you've got to look deeper and say why would somebody do that and it's because they're unhappy the only reason people attack other people uh, in the shares world or online is because they're unhappy. They're underperforming. His own portfolio is obviously doing badly and it's hurting him. So he wants to lash out and attack somebody. I've got broad shoulders. People have been attacking me online for 25 years. It's water off a duck's back. But I'm sorry that that person is having a hard time. And, you know, I hope their, their portfolio improves. Um, but it's no good blaming it. He's obviously lost money on Revolution Bars. Well, that's your call. You know, it's down to 3.5p, so why on earth are you still holding it if you are? You know, we've got to chuck these things out and don't rely on other people's comments from years ago <laughs> to, um, to justify your, your things you hold now. You know, it's, we, we've, got to, we've, got to, we've got to be supportive towards each other. Everyone's suffering, at least in parts of their portfolio, and you know, this is the time when we have to come together and be mutually supportive, not launch broadsides and personal attacks. But I know that, unfortunately, is the sort of style on ADVFN, unfortunately, because it's not regulated. So people just post uh, these um, dreadful personal attacks on there against each other. And you think, why aren't you discussing the company? Why are you attacking somebody else's posters, posts from the future? It's silly. Ad hominems a waste of time. Talk about the talk about the companies and be supportive of each other when people are having a hard time. I say, um, oh here we are. I looked at the takeover bid for so yeah. YouGov I think is really interesting actually. July twenty twenty three results were fantastic, really good numbers. Um, I, there are some aspects of the accounts that I'm not so happy with, and there's a massive acquisition pending at the moment, which will transform the balance sheet from net cash heavy net debt so you, those are the areas you need to look into I think but it has made tremendous progress over the years YouGov has and they've built a much bigger global business I think there's lots more to go for it does obviously um, consumer and political and economic um, market research so it's a market research group very impressive uh, track record only scratching the surface of the, the size of that market in America so it could be one of those shares that it's just worth paying up for because it is expensive, uh, particularly when you strip out the, the adjustments, which I think are not really um, allowable to me anyway. 
Um, you know, like the share options charge is, is very big and it's basically run for the benefit of the employees and management, which is one of the things I focus on and quantify in my report. You know, they're spending much more on share options and employee benefit trust purchases than in dividends, which I don't think is right. But anyway, I, I put out all the positives and all the negatives and you can then make up your own mind. But I think UCOVS looks very interesting. I definitely wouldn't bet against it, put it like that. I'd looked at the restaurant group acquisition from Apollo that we've already mentioned, RTN. I think it's a very good deal for shareholders. Uh, nine times EBITDA is the valuation multiple. So that's arguably now a new benchmark in the sector. And whether we like EBITDA or not, the fact is that that is used as the valuation um, yardstick for acquisitions, not just in the hospitality, but in lots of sectors. So we can't ignore that. It's very relevant. Uh, and uh, interesting enough as well, it says that uh, restaurant group management negotiated three increases in the offer before finally recommended it. So, so recommending it. So well done, restaurant group man- management. I think they've done a good job there. Graham looked at Mobico, formerly National Express, the coach group. It's international. It's got other operations abroad as well. Now, this dropped 20%. Uh, 468p 416 million market cap Q3 trading update it's a profit warning obviously Um, but Graham rummages through the financing side of it it's got lots of debt but it's just refinanced a bond at really competitive interest rate about 4.9% I think it's euro denominated so obviously interest rates there are lower but even so not much above base rate so if the bondholders don't perceive risk then that could be a, a, an interesting indicator for the um, for the equity. So I think Mobico, as a bit of a special situation trade, I think looks quite interesting. Graham's gone amber on it. The bonds are unsecured as well, apparently. I don't know if they have covenants. I haven't looked into that. But basically, passenger growth is weak and expected, and costs are higher than expected, hence the profit warning. So the big problem is, obviously, with highly indebted businesses, as Graham points out, that when that... When the operating profits come under pressure, suddenly you've got much less to service the finance costs. Uh, but yeah, we think it's potentially interesting, Mobico, but higher risk because of the, the debt, MCG. Um, and it's got a ne- I looked at the balance sheet after reading Graham's report, and it's a negative net tangible asset situation, but not that bad. And it does have a substantial pile of uh, fixed assets, which I'm guessing is probably all those coaches which are worth something, obviously, aren't they? Now, I looked at Spectra Systems, SPSY, an interesting little niche business with four niches, including um, things to do with banknotes and security systems. I think it's a very interesting little group, Spectra. I've been very enthusiastic about it for a long time now. We've been marking it green. Finally, it seems to be getting some interest. It's gone up 6% to £1.90. Um, <clears throat> on news of the largest central bank consumables order that it's ever received. Uh, very interesting note from WHI, read that. It's basically saying the forecasts are in the bag and there could be upside on them. That's me paraphrasing it. But uh, yeah, I think Spectrum looks very good. You get a lovely dividend yield there and it's got pots of cash as well. Really nice little growth of reasonable price company. Although with small caps, you know, these they're always much more uh, dependent on 
big customer risk and individual contract risk, aren't they? That's just something you can't avoid with small caps. And this is why you have a portfolio of these types of things, because every now and again, one of them's going to disappoint, isn't it? It'll lose a big contract, something will go wrong, or a big contract gets cancelled, whatever, and it smashes the share price. You can't avoid that risk with small B2B type um, small caps. Uh, SIG was the next one. This is quite a big building materials um, distributor that Graham looked at. Q3 trading update is a profit warning. No great surprise there. Building materials we know is a bad sector. Only down 14%. Uh, Graham's got red on it, but he says that was a marginal decision. Um, Profits trending towards the lower end of market expectations. Soft demand in Europe, so it's not just the UK, of course. In fact, I think the latest GDP showed UK pretty resilient. Um, Germany, of course, is soft. Um, <clears throat> so it's going to have to implement cost savings, it says here. I think red's a bit harsh for SIG. Um, but there we are, that's Graham's view. So whoever writes the report gets to colour code it. Now, I, oh, excuse me, I looked at Hotel Chocolat, HOTC. June 2023 results. Now, obviously, these were really bad. Profitability has evaporated, which we already knew. They put out two profit warnings earlier this year. So no particular surprises with the numbers. Balance sheet's all right, so there's no solvency risk with Hotel Chocolat. Um, Now, what did interest me is that the Q1 current trading update, which is July, August, September, uh, is actually quite positive. Strong like for likes, up 13% from the stores. Um, remember, this is the chocolate. It, it, it grows its own cocoa in the Caribbean, I think. Uh, or is it the Far East? Can't remember. And, it, and it's sort of vertically integrated, and it goes right through to these fancy-looking shops. It sells it all with nice packaging at high prices. I think it's horrible. I don't like the taste of their chocolate at all. Um, but look, you know, other people obviously like it because they buy it, but not enough for the company to actually make any money. It's only a break-even at the moment. But it seems to management seems so accident prone, putting it politely. They've screwed up lots of things, but it does seem to have turned the corner. I have to say, so strong like for likes in Q1, up 13%. They also talk about better margins, up six points, which is very good for profitability, and they've done cost cutting. Put those three things together, and that should see a strong improvement in profitability. Well, it needs to because it's only trading bumping along around break even. Now. <clears throat> The uh, broker forecasts now look much more realistic. I think they're only saying about four million profit for the new year. I think you know if the, if the the company won't give any guidance, so it's too early in the year, and they've got heavily heavy seasonal waitings to Christmas and Easter and whatever. So uh, they could have given some guidance. They could have, could have given a range of possible outcomes based on their internal targets, maybe, but they didn't. Um, I've just said here though so yeah actually I know I've been very critical of Hotel Chocolat in the past because everything was going wrong it now does appear to have turned a corner things are much much better in Q1 so that's really good however why is it valued at 200 million quid that's about £1.45 a share historically Hotel Chocolat shares have been wildly overvalued and then the market got a real wake-up when it disappointed and the whole international growth story the wheels came off with its giant mistakes in Japan US seemed to went go wrong as well and now it's struggling in the UK as well so I think 200 million market cap is crazy for Hotel Chocolat I don't think I'd pay even half that 
So God knows why the market's giving it the benefit of the doubt. But maybe the bulls are thinking, well, you know, it's turned the corner now. It could actually start beating forecasts. Perfectly valid point of view. Um, and good luck to bulls, but it doesn't interest me. Right, on to Friday's report. I did nine companies solo, which um, I mainly did the night before, actually. I cracked open a bottle of Malta's finest white wine and sort of went into turbocharge. Uh, to catch up with loads of backlog items. So this is Friday 13th of October, unlucky for some. And um, these are the things I looked at. Holford's HFG, HFD. Now Ben Harrington, who runs this um, rather spivvy uh, Beterville website that basically publishes rumours of takeover bids, which I don't like because this is either fabrications or insider dealing. It can't be anything else, can it? Rumours, you know, peddling rumours and, and charging subscriptions for the for the hot rumours. I don't like that at all. We don't do anything like that at Stockopedia. We stick to the rules. Um, anyway, it claimed that... Um, Peterville claimed that Holford's would, uh, was, was on the end of receiving... receiving. Now, I saw sort of, of takeover approaches. Now, it did mention the initial reports mentioned on, on uh, Sharecast, I think, mentioned... <coughs> a possible price of £2.71, but those reports seem to have been pulled, so you can't see those reports now. Anyway, I've, I looked through it and said, actually, do you know what, funnily enough, I think Holford's could be a bid target. This is not as silly as it might sound. Well, it doesn't really sound silly. Well, it, the shares went all the way back down again the next day, and the company hasn't commented, so people who got sucked into this rumour uh, have obviously lost money. Um I, I've uh, we've been amber on Holford's, but actually looking at it fresh, I'd never thought about it as a takeover target. I think it's quite interesting. So it might, and now it's come back down again to about one pound ninety. I think the valuation's quite reasonable on um, Halford's. Worth worth a fresh look, I'd say. Finsbury Food. Now this is another one that's had a, a lowball bid approach from DBay a, a little while ago. Sky News reports that Fidelity have said the offer's too low, and that they're going to oppose it. Uh, Fidelity owns 10%. I think they're absolutely right. This was a piss take, this £1.10 offer. It only values at Finsbury Foods at 11 times forwards earnings. And this is a good, decent business that's well managed, that's performed remarkably well throughout the chaos of the last three or four years. They passed on their cost increases successfully. Yeah, it's a good business. It shouldn't be um, taken out on, on a multiple 11 times. If you want to buy a business, you pay up. Don't put in a low a low ball offer, please, DBay. So I hope that bid fails. I think they need to improve to £1.20, maybe £1.30 to get it through. I think £1.30 would be a fair price for Finsbury Food because the stock market never values it much more than a P of 9 or 10 anyway. Um, D4, T4 Solutions is changing its rather silly name to Celebrus Technologies. Celebrus is its core key um, from uh, uh, flagship product that makes complete sense to me so I think that's a good idea shareholders are likely to approve that I think on the 9th of November so watch out for the ticker changing D4T4 will change to CLBS if it's voted through now Victoria I've just commented here that, that obviously we've covered it quite a lot recently with the negative FT reports about its qualified audit report the company's strong rebuttal of this saying it's very small and doesn't matter basically the issues there um, 
Anyway, I could just commented here on the volatility of the share price. It spiked down hugely on the FT article to about £4. Then it shot straight back up again to about £5. Well, it's drifted all the way back down to £4. I think it finished the week at £3.95. So I don't think the problems at Victoria have gone away. We're steering clear. I'm amber red on the Victoria just because it's got this horrible overgeared balance sheet, which I don't like. But whilst recognising that Jeff Wilding's done and produced an amazing long-term multi-bagger there for shareholders, as you can see from the Jeffometer on his investor relations website that shows uh, that measures the multi-bagging effect in real time. Nice touch. <laughs> FW Thorpe, TFW, specialist lighting company. I looked at the June 2023 results. The quick version is, I think it's been, well, it's been an amazing multi-bagger over 20 years, but it is it, the growth is quite pedestrian now. And I think it's 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 too expensive in a mark market where we you know twenty times PE for not particularly good growth profits are up twelve percent, but it's good quality business no doubt about that and got nice balance sheet with thirty five million cash, uh, so yeah I like it but I wouldn't pay twenty times for it in a in a bear market I'm afraid. Um, Mark's electrical I looked at this was naughty trading update, uh, you know nice buoyant sounding RNS but it was actually a profit warning. Um, the brokers updated and and, and um, they didn't really flag that it was a profit warning. Too many companies are doing this. Anyway, I've crunched the numbers. It's far too expensive because earnings are on a downtrend with Marks. It's got very good revenue growth, but distributing electricals, you know, there's no margins in it, really. Uh, it's well run. It's efficient. I get all that. So and management come across very well on... Um, webinars but you know the earnings keep forecasts keep dropping and it's 23 times on these new reduced uh, forecasts way too expensive i think it's i think it's worth about half the current share price so i wouldn't get involved and actually the the price has started drifting down now, uh, well dropping quite sharply which is a sort of delayed response to the profit warning this is why i don't like it when companies um, slip out profit warnings without being specific about it because it's the small investors who take the longest time to twig that this is a profit warning uh, particularly when people like me flag it up to them but by that time you know the, the, the institutions or, or more savvy investors maybe who are, maybe don't have, a, who don't have a day job that takes up their time like a lot of small cap investors do you know they're they're already out or they're or they're trimming back you know so it gives an unfair advantage i think to professional and institutional investors to sneak out profit warnings people need to be much more um honest about it so that's uh, i think a, 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 yeah yeah a, a red mark for uh, marks electrical but because i do think it's fundamentally a decent business and it's got that cash i've only gone amber red on it not red STM, I just flagged here, the recommended takeover bid. Lovely outcome for shareholders there. Well done. Really quirky business. Um, but um, Mad Eddie Trull, of course, from Tungsten fame, is paying a big premium, which he likes to do when he buys businesses. Uh, I think it's a great price. Well done to shareholders here. I would accept that offer with grateful thanks. Uh, oh, and here I went through Eno Aqua Technologies ETP, really tore it to shreds, the profit warning on it. I went, I, I, I went into the balance sheet in a lot of detail, and the big issue there is deferred income, which is another, another form of receivables, but where they haven't even invoiced the customer. I think these figures look really suspect. I'm not happy with the company's explanations. I went through the 2022 annual report, 
and I've so I've really done quite a deep dive on this. So see Friday's report for that. As a result of which, I think at the moment, Enna Aqua is just uninvestable, even though it's only 13 million market cap. I don't believe the numbers, to be blunt with you. Anyway, Avon Pro- Pro- Protection AVON, I had a quick look at there. Uh, looks as if that's turning the corner. Quite interesting. That used to be Avon Rubber. It's had a lot of problems, but anyway, again, seems to be um, on the mend. That's all I've got time for. That wraps up the week anyway. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for all your brilliant comments. And I'll see you um, again on Monday in the Small Cap Value Reports on Stockopedia when I'm back in the UK. Okay, bye for now. Bye.